Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans-inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day, and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. New day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to turn it all around again. It's a new day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to start over again. When the sun rises, you can start over again. You can make it better than yesterday. It's a new day. It's a new day. New day. A new day. There's a way. You can turn it around. Trust me. There's a way out. There's more time. Just don't give up when the sun rises. New day. You got another chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A new day. A new day. Got another chance. Join the conversation. You can hashtag Marsha's Plate. You can follow us on most social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, what's up, y'all? Peace, peace. How you be? I am good. I feel really, really good. Today is my mom's birthday. Happy birthday. And, and you know, ha- happy birthday as an ancestor. And she <laughs> um, and me and my little brothers decided to all wear purple this earlier. I changed clothes, but earlier we all wore oh, purple okay. today. Okay. Okay. Um, mm. We all wore purple today. And um, since we don't, we all, all don't live in the same area. Um, my my youngest brother, we were all on um, the video video chatting, and they released balloons for my mom. Him and his children oh, wow. released. My mother's yeah. favorite color is purple, so they released purple balloons, and um, you know, we just was in reverence, and it was a happy moment instead of it being really really sad. The kids were having fun at the park, and. It just was a, a wonderful little tradition that we are starting um, just That's to honor sure. my mom. And so this was one of the, the de- first times that since she passed that it didn't feel sad. It didn't feel like super overwhelmingly yeah. sad. And so, yeah, I had a really, really, really good day. It was it was good with my brothers. Um, and I talked with them separately for a very long time, just about... Okay you know, some history. And when you really have in-depth conversations with your siblings, I, well, I don't want to say everybody, but when I do, we learn so much about each other because we have, and, our, and, and my mom, because we have such different experiences with my mom. So I was an only child for seven years until my right. mother came seven. So there was a lot of time, a long time that I was by myself with my mother in a way during her younger years. And that's, you know, by the time they come along, she's in her late twenties and I remember a teenage mama. <laughs> and so right. and so they do not. And you know, and then some certain things we have different dad. I have a whole Debbie dad. My middle brother has a uh, a father that's in his life and takes care of all his children, but he's super, super abusive. And then I have a younger brother 
who um, has a, a a dad that was battling addiction, the one who got my mm. mom was battling addiction with my mom. Um, yeah. He was a deadbeat for so long, but now he's gotten clean and he's a great father. <laughs> now he's getting back in my brother's life. And so they're going through yeah. their forgiveness status and building mm. their relationship. Mm -hmm. And he has a new daughter that calls me sister, even though, you know, we're not biologically to, yeah. but she understands the relationship. So she calls my brother. That is her, her sister. Um, they got the same father. Oh, cool. but how how old is she? She is, God, she got to be a teenager. She got to be like 13, 14. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's so she's cool. beautiful little girl. And, and he's, you know, he's basically making up for what his past, the negative of his past, because he's been in his little girl's life the whole time. And so yeah. he's bringing my little brother along. So we all have different relationships. So today, one of the conversations that I had was um, with my little brother about his father. Me and him have never talked about me and his father's relationship. <clears throat> because while mm -hmm. he was with my mother, while he was with my mother, he was the first one. He was the first one that my mom was with that wasn't abusive, that was that was amazing, mm. like just an amazing dude. He was fun. Yeah. He was, um, he was cool, and he he just was. He was competitive, not competitive to us, but like if he knew that, like, say this is what he used to do. So we used to have video games. We used, used to have uh -huh. Nintendo, right? And so, yeah, if he knew that the boys in the neighborhood were kind of having a competition about how many games each other had. He made sure that I had more games in the motherfuckers. If he had to go to the, <laughs> if he had to go to the, the video game store and steal the motherfuckers, he's he's, he's gonna doing, make sure you he's gonna was, make sure I was the one on top. <laughs> <laughs> and he wow. was affectionate in a masculine way. Like I remember um growing mm -hmm. up, men, and I talk about this in my book. Um, growing up, men were not affectionate with me. Mm. Like masculine straight men, because I was girly, yeah. it was either violent or it was either nothing. Like mm. if they touched me, I'm talking about physical touch. If they touched me, it was to toughen me up, like punch me in the arm, punch me in the chest. It was no kind of tenderness from men. Mm. But with him, it was total opposite. It was like he would pat me on my head. Like if I did something he was proud of, he would pat me on my head or put his hand behind my neck and 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 not shake it hard. But like he'd be like, yeah, good job. Like it's it was a certain masculine affection that he gave me. Hug yeah. me if if like yeah. I remember we were outside playing with a kite and um, for whatever reason, I couldn't get the fucking kite to go up. It kept. You know how you got to run with a kite first? Like, we, who, I don't oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kites and shit, yeah. But, <laughs> but it's an old school game. <laughs> but playing with a kite and it would not go up because you know it got to catch the wind and then you got to let it ride out. And so, yeah, it just kept, it kept not working. And I was getting so frustrated, but I was not giving up. I'm going to do this. I'm going <laughs> to do this. And he let me just be frustrated and just deal with it. And then finally the kite just for one, the kite just got the wind and the wind and it just went up. And I was like, yes, I was so happy. And he came over and just kind of gave me a hug and was proud and blah, blah, just a, a fatherly moment. And so yeah. 
he does this all the time. He would do that all the time. I never felt weird about him not being my father. I never felt pressure of calling him dad or I never felt any like that. He was just a dude in my life that was treating me like a healthy masculine dude. Right. And, and I never talked to my little brother about that because he was also the avenue my mother got into drugs. So there was a installed hate, installed a resentment, like, oh, God, you got my mama on drugs and da-da-da. You know, trying, even though she's a grown-ass woman, it's her responsibility. But, um, you know, there was like this resentment that all of us had towards him because he was the one that introduced her to drugs. And so um, it was hard. Yeah. And so as a kid. kid. And so this was the first time that I explained the positive of before the drugs of them and how they were madly in love. And they were in their early 20s. They weren't fucking grown adults, the grown, grown adults. They were in their early 20s. And I was like, and and now that I'm older and I think about it, I was born, we were only 10 years apart. He was born in 69. I was born in 81, 12 years apart. And so that's not that yeah. far apart. You're still, so, you're still super young and yeah. don't know about life. And, exactly. And yeah. So when I I remember this one time, he went and yoked up the teacher because he was teasing me. <laughs> I remember oh, this little, this Hold little on, 13 year old. What does yoked up mean, Donald? Um, him him up up against the wall, him okay. up, him and him up, <laughs> putting him in his place. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah I, he was. He used to make fun of my accent because I used to say I used to sound country, and so because we lived in Boston, and they had that weird ass box Boston accent, Boston. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That shit. Because they had that weird ass <laughs> accent. When I came there, I sounded country mm-hmm. to them. And so mm-hmm. they were like, um, that he used to, but he wouldn't just be talking about my country accent. He would be like, like, so say I would say 10. I would say it with a twang, like 10. <laughs> and so, I'm, so I'm answering the question, 10. He would mock me, 10. Oh, but he, would add, he would add a snap to it. So, you know, it's not just my country. Yeah, he, was he black? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, was watching living, he was watching a little too much in living color. Too right. much in living color, yes. <laughs> men on film. Okay. Exact men on film, baby. <laughs> and so he was he was trying to be cute. And so we're in front of Trying to be fourth, slick. Wait, trying, trying to be, to be slick. slick. Yeah. And we're in fourth slick. grade. So if they see if you they see you mock me about my queerness and my countryness, right. You tell you me these kids this, that's the so kids weird. is gonna be extra. And so it turned me, I was already turned into like a timid person because I knew people would clock my queerness, but I never had got it from a teacher. Right. Right. So he said that he snapped his fingers and was like 10 and was saying it all feisty, real extra and shit. And that's not how I said it. But real spicy, yeah, real spicy, <laughs> real gay and spicy. I told him what had happened, and Robert went up there and yoked that and brought told him, Hey, hey, player, let me come out here and talk to let's let's talk about my son <laughs> <laughs> in the hallway, real quick. Come on, let's let's talk. And da, 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 da. And he didn't know what was happening, <laughs> he just was uh, like, oh, oh, a parent came coming to see me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Baby, that man came out of that hallway and Robert hemmed him up against the wall and said, Look, my son told me that you. Fucking talking about his accent. 
and making fun of how he talks, snapping your motherfucking fingers and shit. These Come kids on. is already Come on, say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. <laughs> right. And defend, okay? These, defend your these, these kids is already teasing him and shit. And you making Why it worse. Make and you supposed to be the motherfucking t- teacher? I'll yeah, come dope. up here and beat your ass. <laughs> like, literally in the hallway. And I was like, right behind him, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Did, did you have a snap? Did you have a snap and go, let me snap. now what? Now, now, yeah, now you want to talk about snap. How about okay. that? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, and, that hey. and back then, that was the era of like, everything is so gay. That's gay. This gay. Yeah. That's gay. Yeah. yeah, that's different. Ooh. He made the man apologize to me. And the man didn't mm. like call security or anything. He didn't do nothing because he was scared of shit. And <laughs> he went back in that he went back in that room. I went back in the room. I no no no. I didn't go back in the room. He signed me out of school and we went we went home. And um Did he check the kids too? No, he didn't check the kids. He just checked he stopped home. doing it. But he stopped okay. doing it. Oh, but the teachers start the checking teacher. the kids. Yes, yeah. the teachers start checking the kids. I think he was a gay white man. I think looking back on it and I think maybe he just was being funny, but not in a, I don't know. I just, I think he, you think he might've been extra to try to stave off any uh, people knowing he was gay kind of thing or what? I, I can't really tell. All I know is I was a kid and I felt like he was mocking me. Period. And so, Period. and so, <laughs> and so did uh, you step back. Yeah. Yeah, once I told my stepdad what was happening, and he was like, I'm go up there and check this nigga, and that's what he did. Oh my god, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know. I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> all righty anyway thank y'all and the patreon and paypal link is at the bottom back to the show i had never been able to sit down and talk to my brother about his dad about the positiveness of his dad because growing up we were just talking about the negative stuff how he he and my brother always had this i want to say my we talked about it today he said i don't he said i didn't want to he said i it's not guilt on me but knowing that my father is the one that got her in drugs, not nobody else's, even, you know, my other, the middle brother's father, who was the abusive one. He was like, even him don't really get the rap that my dad does because my dad is the one that got her on drugs. <laughs> and he was like, he said, I, he said, I don't want to say it made me feel shame, but it kind of was like, oh damn, my, why my daddy got to be the one that got her on drugs. And so mm. me, me sharing with him, when my mother and him was madly in love 
me yeah. sharing with him why she even moved to Boston because she was in love with this man and he was in love with her. To this yeah. day, like to this day, yeah. even his wife to this day has said, I know that your mother is the love of his life and mm -hmm. the drugs is what stopped it. <laughs> the, the, the addiction is what stopped their love for each other not stopped it but changed it me sharing that with my brother that it felt healing because he said oh i never heard this before he was like i just thought boston i only remember the negative stuff in boston um he was like i don't remember anything of the positive and i was like oh it was glorious they were before the drugs hit everything but then i also explained it to him that it wasn't just them this is at the tail end of the crack epidemic when we that's exactly that's what that's what i was thinking like you yeah. know everybody everybody if you if you're if you didn't have a parent that was caught up you Somebody, had cousins you had cousins a neighbor a whole generation a yeah. whole generation and i was yeah. telling him in in the in the neighborhood we had so we lived there was the part it's not a complex but it's um basically two houses that owned by the same people that were built right next to each other and they had three apartments in each one of the buildings so that's how this complex on it's not no big huge complex but that's what it was three houses mm -hmm. with three apartments on first floor second floor third floor so okay. When we moved into it, we moved in the third floor, the top floor. There was uh, it was me, my stepdad, and my three little brothers. Um, my, okay. me and my two little brothers. The floor under us was it was interesting because it was a woman and her boyfriend, and so she had two kids before him, and they had a baby together. So they were in the exact same situation as my. She, the lady, was in the exact same situation as my mom. Her third mm. child was who was living with her her father right right but right. instead of her instead of my mom instead of her having three boys like my mom she had three girls oh okay okay so it was okay. kind of interesting That's cute. Yeah. yeah it was it was interesting and then below mm -hmm. them on the bottom floor was a was a white woman and she was mm -hmm. an older white woman now across the street not not across the street but in the building next door is owned by the same people looked exactly the same the top floor was um, somebody, it was an older woman. The middle floor was this old singer. You might not know who she is because she wasn't really popular, popular, but she was a real singer. Like she had charts, uh, songs what, on the what charts. Was her, name? her name was Sharon Brown. Okay. Um, but she wasn't like a, it was a super, super hit, but she made the charts. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so her name was Sharon Brown. Sharon Brown lived in the middle and Sharon Brown had two sons and she was okay. living there with their dad. Right. Um, with no, 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 with her boyfriend. Then on the bottom floor was. I don't remember who on the bottom floor, somebody, just some people that they didn't. I, mo I mostly remember the people who had kids because I was a kid. Um, so by the time we left there. Because the the um and then around the corner it was this girl named Carmen. She lived with her daddy and her mama and her sister, one sister and one brother. So anyway, I'm telling you all of this because by the time we left there, Carmen's daddy had got on drugs. Huh. So Carmen's daddy, so his dad, her daddy got locked up behind some drugs because he was smoking dope and got in, caught up, got locked up. It made them lose their house because now the mama don't, the daddy was the one who was making the money. 
Okay. They lived that very okay. traditional life. She was the housewife, mm-hmm. da, da, da. Once he gets locked up and go do a bid, the mama ain't got nothing to take care of the kids with. And so they lose their house. It wasn't like they, they didn't own the house, but they couldn't stay there because they couldn't afford it. So they had to move. So Carmen and her mama had to move back to grandma. So they left. Sharon got on drugs. Is this her? Yes. Yes, that's her. Okay. Yes. Oh, so, I can't wait to listen to I specialize in love. Yes, that's her. <laughs> that was her hit. <laughs> I, love me, I love me a good disco, a good boogie. Yes. This is her? Yeah, this is um, Sharon Brown. Come on, Sharon Brown! Okay. That's my kind of band right there. Okay. Hey! Okay. I hadn't heard that song in a minute. Baby, she was proud of that baby. That she would really more her son. Baby, he would start bumping that like it was the tea, honey. <laughs> he was proud of his okay. mama. I know that's yeah, right. Okay. I used to get my life. I used to get my honey. I would walk in her little house. And she lived. <laughs> she lived for me knowing her song. <laughs> that's, what's up. that's what's up. That's that. That's the uh, sneaking in them gay bars when I was in high school got me real hit to the boogie again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is too. That's, right. that's a bop. That's a bop. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> Sharon had got on drugs. Her boyfriend was, but. You know, she had that little hit money, right? So she, so when you go in her house, she had furs. She had mm. sickening shit in her house because number two had, on the U.S. dance charts. Okay, yeah. So she had <laughs> she she had some little she had some little stuff in there. When I went to her house, I thought they was rich. First of all, because right. one of her sons, the youngest one, the oldest one was my age. One of her sons, his he had a, and this is what I thought was rich back in the day. He had a bed that was shaped like a red race car. And oh wow! We didn't have that when I was growing up because yeah. that was some that's, that, that's some fancy. Yeah, yeah. that's what you see on TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. I was like, "Oh, y'all rich!" <laughs> and the little mm-hmm. boy, the one that was my age, who I used to play with, he um, I, I asked him like, I was like, "Oh, your mama's rich," and he was like, "Yeah, she got she got music." on the um she yeah she a singer she got music on the radio like he used to be proud of his mama in his sense of that and so and that she got her plaques on the wall just i knew she was a music artist and so um so i'll go over their house and play by the time we leave the man she done all her money is gone they done pawned the tvs they done pawned the the race car bed they done pawned like the furs, like they house is looking like a trap house. Great Just stuff. like ours yeah. was. Just like ours was. And so because crack ravaged through this this one, these one blocks, it's like seven blocks of kids that we knew. So the man leaves her because this wasn't his kids. The dude who was living with her was her mm-hmm. boyfriend. It wasn't his kids. Uh-huh. Now that all her money is gone from her 
being a, a, a kind of singer and he on drugs, he leave her. So now she's just in the house with her kids drinking and wore out. Right. Her white lady move out. So that apartment is abandoned. Um, okay. The older woman on the other building that moves out. So only people who live there is me, the, me and my family, the family under us. But she got on drugs too. She got on drugs. So everybody. So everybody. Well, everybody in the building got caught up. Everybody the in the stuff. building got caught up in dope, and if they didn't, they left because it was getting bad. The neighborhood. This, this is what is this like? Late eighties, early nineties. This is ninety, literally ninety. Yeah. yeah. And so. Um, it was getting bad, and, and then, um, and so when I was going to steal food for my brothers, I had to go steal food for the three girls downstairs too, because we mm. all were the same age. Like they mm. both had six-month-year-old babies, newborns. Mm. My little brother and her little child. Wow. I had we had a we had she had a middle girl that was like six, that was like five or six. I had a little brother that was five or six, and then I was the oldest. I was 10, and, and she had a daughter that was eight, Michelle. She had a daughter that was eight. And so I would have to babysit them. I would have to steal food for them. And actually, because we lived in Boston and there was nobody there, in the in the in the vicinity that I that I knew, and my mother had trained me, you do not tell no business that's going on in this house. <laughs> you know how black parents is. So I didn't have right. anybody I was even close to to be able to tell that something was going wrong, horribly wrong. And to your mother's point, regardless of what you got going on, it's better than the system. <laughs> so, you know what, what I mean? I, I, I have, I, my father was it, it caught up in addiction. I, th I think I told you this before, like mm -hmm. all of my childhood until early 20s, mm -hmm. mid 20s. So like, but yeah, you know not to be like, yes, these things are happening. Yeah. At the crib, you know what I'm saying? My mom had mental health shit. It was just like, all right, well, you know. Yeah. And right. that's just what it was. And I remember the girl, how we all got, how we got out of the situation was Nichelle, the lady, the neighbor under us with the three girls, her, her mother came to the apartment because her grandbaby had told her that mm, you, need to come through. Mm. you need to come through. Something's wrong over here. Mm -hmm. And she came wow. in the house. She came in the house and saw them. And then Michelle said she asked who had cooked the food in the house since the since the uh, none of the parents was in the building. None of the parents. Yeah. And yeah. her her grandmother asked her who cooked the food, and she said me. And she walked up them stairs because we lived on the floor above them. She walked up yeah. the stairs and banged on the door. And I came to the I came to the door and I said, "Who is it?" And she said, "Um, this is Michelle's grandmother downstairs." And I say, "Okay, hey." I didn't open the door because right. you don't open the no door for no stranger. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, um, "She said uh, she was like, yeah, open the door, sweetie." And I was like, um, no, I don't know you. <laughs> what, do you have any questions? She was like, where's right. your mother? And I was like, oh, she'll be back. You got to come back later. Because I was trained to, to right. tell what was happening. Baby, that woman called the police. <laughs> Damn. Oh, because you said your mama not home and you're clearly a minor. Right, right, right. She called the motherfucking police and the police came. but. She didn't let them take us. 
She mm-hmm. said, I just want I just want y'all to do a check, uh, a wellness check on what's going on. So she got the police to let me open up to get them to get me to open up the door. Wow. And so when they go in, you know, when the police come in, it's, you know, no, ain't no parents there, but she's able to get in and they end up once she says, OK, everything is all right. They end up leaving. And she, wow. and she tells them that she's there. She's taking us with her. And she literally packed all three of the boys up, packed all three of the girls up and took us to her house. So all six wow. of us, grandma come and take us to her house. And she says, I'm going to wait and see when these motherfuckers come back. Because they coming back and none of their kids is going to be there. Let's see what the mm-hmm. fuck they do. And that's literally mm-hmm. what happened. My mama come back and she's livid. What the fuck is happening? Right, because right, she said, don't open the fucking door. Let don't alone you go. <laughs> so she you don't even hear. So you can't she don't know how to contact me. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? She don't know nobody. She was like, where the fuck is my kids? <laughs> and so my mama come through the door and I'm scared I'm going to get a whooping. And, but um, she don't whoop. She don't do no whooping. But um, but I was scared. And she was like, and the grandmother, the, the her, uh, Nichelle's grandmother, she made me call my grandmother in Indianapolis. Wow. Okay. And she, and on the phone, Nichelle's grandmother told her, her name is Mrs. Hyde. Mrs. Hyde called her grandmother and said, your daughter with my daughter is down here doing that motherfucking shit and got that your stuff. kid. That, that stuff. Shit. <laughs> nah, she, was, she was a country church lady. Oh, okay, she okay. was a country church yeah, lady. Yeah, she said, they yeah. got, they got, they down here doing that motherfucking shit and uh, your kids, they ain't got no food. They ain't got no coats. They run around, their clothes is dirty. And this old one, this oldest one, is cooking for was cooking for my grandkids and they got him taking care of everything and so she gets up she tells my, my grandmother to tell tells her to put me on the phone because my grandmother also is like hmm what is going on i don't really want to hear from you let me hear from my grandbaby <laughs> she's right like what's go- what's happening so i get on the phone and i tell her that it's all true and she's saying why the fuck you ain't call me and tell me what's going on why why does why does this lady i don't know have to call me and tell me and i was like cuz you know mama would have whooped my ass if i would have told you what was going on in this house <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> what the, what the, what's this what? you, you know but you had the same motherfucking <laughs> rules uh, 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 so, so she um so oh, my wow. grandmother got on the greyhound couldn't afford it but got on the motherfucking greyhound and came all the oh, way yeah. to boston oh, figure that shit out. Yeah. and came up and got us and when she came back before my grandmother could get to in boston because you know take on the bus it takes like um 24 hours to get from indianapolis to um, boston and mm. um or more maybe like 26 27 my mother had came to Nichelle's grandmother's house and brought us back to the house. And she cussed Mrs. Hyde out because she was like, you don't know me. You can take your grandkids, but you don't know my kids. You you don't fucking bother my kids. And I didn't know about to Basically, she knows she was right, but she just being a bitch and was cussing her out about. <laughs> Uh, you know, don't take my kids, and why are you fucking yeah. telling my my mama yeah, my yeah, radically, right. yeah, 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 exactly. Why are you telling my mama my fucking business? And you know, you Metlin, these ain't your grandkids. <laughs> you do that with your kids, anyway. So my grandmother 
my grandmother literally comes, she gets the address and she literally comes and she was like, I'm taking all these kids. If you don't take them, I'm calling the police and telling them what's going on. If because my my mother was like, you're not taking my fucking kids. That sounds no. about black. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about black. And my grandmother said, yeah. yes, I am. You out here smoking yeah. crack and you're not taking care of them. And I'm taking them back to Indianapolis with me. You either going to have to beat my ass or what? The first <laughs> time that my grandmother ever in my life did something that made it feel like she cared. <laughs> mm. but it was because at that point we were all boys and my mother my grandmother has you know how people will prefer light-skinned kids my mother's is more about gender oh my, my grandmother yeah, is no, about gender no wait, wait. black women <laughs> love <some> boys <laughs> yes so she loved boy older, kids older. yeah yeah she loved boy children so she it was she related having boy um grandchildren and so she <laughs> You know, I ain't I ain't transitioned yet. She didn't get mean until I transitioned. And then um, and then so she took <laughs> us back to back to Indianapolis. So anyway, I say all that say I say all of that to say I was able to talk to my brothers and talk to mm -hmm. them about the good stuff instead of the bad stuff. And because yeah. before all of that went down, the whole before the whole neighborhood went down, it was fucking glorious. It felt like we was in the suburbs. We had lived in the projects all our life, but we were in this little area of the town that Ooh. felt like the suburbs it was a cute little trees you know when you in in new england during the fall it's all all these trees that turn to yellow turn to red it's a beautiful place and yeah. it was it was beautiful it had all the seasons and um they were in love they were hustling and and just and just having a blast and it just turned ugly within the, within a year it ravaged the area that's just crazy. I mean, it's not crazy. Uh, and not I'm not being ableist, but it's not it's not crazy in the sense of like you mentioned earlier, like this was everywhere. Like mm -hmm. it just, you know, was quick and whole yeah. families whole everywhere. Families. Yeah. It's just still kind of wild. It's you know, especially to, especially today. Where you're saying, oh, addiction? You got addiction? Oh, you know, you're dealing with addiction. White people come, you know, come to our addiction center, and this is a public health crisis. Oh, and okay, we want to switch. Okay. We want to switch your needles out. Yeah. <laughs> we want to switch your needles yeah. out and take nobody you talking about harm. Ain't nobody talking about meth babies. Uh uh. You don't hear that shit. It's it's you know, and it is a public health issue. Obviously, black people yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah, the white, that, white folks out there, out the middle, and, and 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 what happens when the the, the drugs come and people lose their jobs and their housing and it ravages whole communities? No motherfucking shit, Charlotte. What you're just finding that <laughs> out? Oh my god, we've been seeing them ravage our communities exactly. for decades. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, uh, just a side note. Like Steve Harvey get on my nerves, but you, you remember that uh, when he hosted the. Uh, the verses with Isley Brothers and uh, 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 Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm -hmm. And he was just being super extra, right? And was like having a whole moment and shit. But a part of that too, like even though it was ridiculous, you know, I know black people, black men of that generation, and a lot of their people are gone. 
because of crack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? And in prison. And so, like, you know, it's just interesting too. Just um, anyway, his extra during that time, during when I remember seeing that and thinking, like, yo, some of the pushback on Steve Harvey is folks that don't understand that whole generation of those folks that kind of came up in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s got hit hard. Right. So this is a man that's still standing when he probably lost a lot of fucking peers to these mm. streets, drugs, prison. That's legit. Right? You know what I mean? And so even though he's extra, because i got cousins in my life that's like in the 60s, early 60s, da 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 you know, who have, to have navigated addiction, navigate all this shit, and you know, still talk that jive talk, that fucking shit mm-hmm. to get on my nerves. But that's all they era. That's all that is. It's some bullshit, a lot of it, but I know that that's something that was unique to black culture of that era, and a lot of people got caught up. That's I yeah. mean, I don't need to go on whatever, but like, you know, he got my nerves, but I'm also like, you know, because you could tell he can't. I mean, he was a little drunk, but you could tell he was really, <laughs> but he was really passionate about, oh man, this was back in the day, Earth and Fire, and you know, so and even you know. coming back to Indianapolis, areas that we were lived that we lived in when I that I lived in when we, I was younger, I remember the um I could see the difference from when we left Boston because we stayed in Boston from ninety to ninety three, and oh, wow. when we came back, I could see the difference in certain areas. My so when I was younger, when I the very first time mm-hmm. I went to school, like elementary school. I live like two blocks away. So I had to go up one block and then go down block a block to walk to school. So when you go up one block, there was always a street um, um, guard who had like a sign, a stop sign and an orange vest on to make sure that the kids could get across the street and not get hit by yeah. cars. And so yeah. her name was Rose. Her name was Rose. Mm-hmm. I can't, And she was the, the, the cross guard from the time I could remember until I got out of elementary, I went back there at, um, I think I was e- 11. I went back to that neighborhood when we went back with my grandma. Rose was on crack. Damn. Yeah. And she was, was she like still, was she, was she like functional on crack? She was white. She was, just- she was, Rose was white, an older white woman, but she was on crack and they were selling her crack and they was, you know, Explore, you know, niggas who was selling drugs was getting head from Rose for some rocks, and oh, you know, sure. it, it was all kinds of shit. It was all, but she was the crosswalk, and then they didn't have that anymore. They didn't have. She stopped going, but you could tell she was on crack because she was so skinny and so just wore out, and so um, looking real dusty. Yeah. And then the neighborhood that we lived in when I was with, with my grandmother, same thing. She lived in the same building, but it was not the same thing when I came back. I was like, it is ravishing this area, every area from Boston to Indianapolis. It was wearing it out. And the, and the, and the tone was nowhere near like you, like you pointed out the tone of how they talked about the people. It was nowhere near what we see now, Mm -hmm. the care, the, the, the call for resources to to help these people in the opioid crisis. You're not demonizing the people you're not othering or uh, ridiculing the children Uh -uh. of folks who are on drugs, let alone the parents. Um, Yeah. It's a totally different. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I think it's good, but it's, 
it's like you said, the whole shit got taken over. Like this came into black communities like a bomb. Yeah. You that know, um, intentionally from the government. You know, it was crazy. It was it was just it's it looking back on it, li living through it, it because I was a kid. Only thing I was focused on was. Why is my mother on drugs? That's the only thing that I could think about at, at the time. Why is this happening to me? Why is my mom on drugs? What? Why can't you, you know, why can't you fight through this? If a mother's love is so strong, yeah. why can't you beat this? Because I didn't understand addiction. But now that I'm older and I have the community politic, I can look back and see like, oh my God, this was happening to a lot of us. This was happening to so many. And it was affecting so many areas of our life from the school. I remember when I first went to the school in Boston, there was no metal yeah. detectors. There was no metal detectors. There was nothing. We could go outside on the playground and play kickball and recess and be out there having fun running. By the time I left in three years, we couldn't even be out in the playground because the it's gun. It's like 90, 93, 94 or what? Yeah, this was or 90 92. to 93. Yeah. We couldn't be that's, out on the playground. Diamond, that's crazy. You know, around that same time, and I told you, we was in this neighborhood that I lived in when I was a kid, kid in elementary school. We lived across the street first, and then the landlord, the white landlord said, oh, no, you can't have your black Negro children <laughs> playing on my front lawn, even though you pay me rent, because your black children will bring my property value down. Wow. Okay, this is like early 80s. So we move across the street. My, You know, that was like pimp move. Ah, or not pimp move, but because I don't celebrate pimps, but, uh, you know, we're going to move across the street. Right. And so now we live across the street. The black children playing in front of the lawn across the street looking at the house they used to live in, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. That's early 80s. We left that area in 94. All this shit had changed. Oh, right? So this this went from, I don't want your black kids playing in the front lawn because, you know, black folks were starting to come into the area. And by 1994, all the white people was gone. Unless they was like old white people. You know what I mean? That was old lawn. And yeah, the violence, the drugs, the da 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 da. Middle school, first time I see it, like you said, metal detectors. We couldn't even wear for the school dances. They would say, "Oh, no mixed match color socks," because that could be gang related. So, because we had to take our shoes off because uh, for the floor, right, for the school dances. But it's just like that. That's why I asked you that time period because that's around that same time, like ninety to ninety four. Just like shit started changing. And then so somebody easily could look at that and see, well, all the black people are coming in. So it did take the property value down without analyzing what led to that. Right. <laughs> Some right. racist exactly. person could think of that exactly. as just face value, but not analyzing how the socioeconomics of the area, the lack of jobs, the lack of opportunity can lead to this. And I mean, then this, add the crap. And that's the time, just the end of, you look at industrial cities, Indianapolis was an industrial city, Milwaukee yeah. was an industrial city, Detroit, Chicago. This is when you see all these industries about to bounce. Like yeah. all these things that used to kind of hold together. Apparently Milwaukee back in the day, like the 60s and 70s was known as a place you just go, you get a job. Because there are plenty of factories and all that kind of stuff. That's that the end. That's the area. end. Yeah, exactly. The Rust Belt. That yeah. that's the end. Like the early, like you still had stuff kind of hanging on in the eighties, mm -hmm. but like it was a wrap. And, and and really, the only thing I think about that kind of kind of kept the black community 
uh, kept people in position, some people in position of like home ownership and shit was people that had government jobs. But outside of that, you know what I'm saying? What no more, you work at a company a long time and you get a pension maybe or whatever, whatever they used to do back in the day. That, that was over. That was a wrap. Where are the jobs? Where's mm-hmm. the public transportation? How do I get to the job? How do I find a job with dignity? Mm. Okay, in the midst of all this chaos, you know, that's a lot, you know, what was going on. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and w- me thinking about other places that I lived and where I've been, um, mm-hmm. when I moved to Mississippi, it was about to happen there. And so, oh, wow. but wow. instead instead of it being, um, you know, in the Rust Belt, it was like, you know, steel mills, um, car factories, because um, in Indianapolis, we had Allison, um, y'all, um, Detroit had like Ford, um, you know, different steel mills, mill in, in American in, Motors. Yeah, that, yeah. In Mississippi, mm-hmm. it was chicken plants. It was chicken plants. It was, um, you know, just stuff like that. It was, it, it was like waterhouses and stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. when I moved down to, down to, um, Mississippi at the time, this was, this was 99, 98, 99. Every person that I knew worked at a chicken plant. Wow. Every black Damn. person I knew in, and this is rural Mississippi. This is Walnut Grove. Da, 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 da. So every person that I knew worked at, worked at a chicken plant. And what started to happen is when they were trying to mobilize and get raises, they started firing the black citizens, the black people, and hiring the immigrant workers who, you know, they could- They were union, the they were union busting and paying folks lower rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause they knew they couldn't complain. And so instead of us, instead of the black community being like, y'all motherfuckers is doing this on purpose and blaming them, of course that put, that put pitted them against the immigrants. Saying they coming in in our country, taking our, our fucking jobs and blah 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 blah. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Dividing, yeah. Conquer, not understanding that this is the capitalist system that is affecting us. Right. Yeah. I mean that that's what happened. Black people, uh, they you know when they brought black black workers up north too, right? Like in Detroit yeah. to to be strike breakers, yeah. and it's like, well, you're not gonna go back to terrorism in the south are you no you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a different kind of terrorism i'll take this one instead so they're down there lynching lynching y'all so do you want this Mm -hmm. you want this um how how many uh, whatever they was getting paid back then this little chump change or it is it is it's wild because that's the system like you said like divide and conquer trying to pit workers against each other because they know if we working together that we can get what we deserve you know yeah, that's so, wild. Now it was quite interesting to see, you know, the, mm. to live at the end of the decline of the industrial kind of era of the Midwest mm. and go to the South and see that's the industry too. But um, see it, but then see Nissan coming into Canton, Mississippi, because they they built a plant in Canton, Mississippi, and then that mm. became a prize job in that area. Um, Where's Canton? Canton is. It's mid Midwest Mississippi, not Midwest. It's mid Central Mississippi. Um, oh my God! Yeah, there was a Toyota that was in Tupelo. I don't know if it's Toyota or 
um, or Chrysler. I think it's Toyota. They had a plant in um, in in Tupelo, Mississippi. They started because this was cheap area. The company started to build in you know Mississippi. Um, the president of the Toyota plant, my um, my little brother married her. That was his first wife. Oh um, wow! His daughter. I'm not not his daughter. <laughs> the the oh, president, okay, his okay. daughter. My brother married his daughter, and so oh, wow, that's still oh, wow. Shit, it is a oh, wow because she paid for a sixty gas wedding. He paid for a sixty gas I wedding. <laughs> my brother had a yeah. wedding, and so oh, um, my goodness. and so yeah, it was uh, it was dope. Um, but I just was seeing it in Mississippi and seeing how they were switching. And you see that now that's happening here in Texas. All those big fucking companies are, are trying to move here. Oh, because of the cheaper taxes and all, that. all of that kind of stuff. Just like they they were they were in San Francisco, but you see what they did to San Francisco's economy. They made oh. it unaffordable for people. Oh, right, 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 right. Are you saying the tech companies are coming in? Yeah. The tech companies are coming to Austin, coming to different parts of Texas because it's cheaper to come out here. Yeah, I mean, it's that's interesting, too, at a time where like a lot of these tech companies have been laying off people, mm -hmm. which is like, that's interesting because, I mean, I'm, I'm um, you know, that's been in the zeitgeist of what's been going on lately is all these tech workers getting fired, people coming out of college making a hundred six figures. And then you're fired at Facebook. You're fired at Twitter. You're yeah. fired at some of these other places. So I wonder if some of that tech they doing down there too is like the healthcare. Cause I heard that's like, you know, you go in your my chart and all that kind of stuff. Like that's a whole industry too. It's, it's. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of wild though. I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting looking back on it, knowing what we know, knowing what we know now and Mm -hmm. um and he and seeing the differences um what was your brother how did he how did he uh take that in um he was amazed my brother was amazed my brother was me us talking about it he didn't think about it on that economic level that we the, the yeah. depth of conversation that we had because once we went to talk about his father and how i just loved him i loved his dad um um and how he treated me then we went into the economics of it, the how the whole neighborhood went down. It wasn't just us who were being affected. It felt like just us because this is where we were. This is our perspective and where we live. Right. But but when I look back and see what was going on with the rest of the families in the neighborhood, every single one, your somebody, building, neighborhood, building. your building, yeah, yes, like, and so, so he, he really was amazed. Did it. Yeah. Yeah, he was amazed. Huh. He was like, I didn't think about that. He was like, I only know it about it from my perspective of as a little kid and hearing about it because he was too young. He was born in 90. So his early okay. years, one to two to three, that was in Boston. So he says he doesn't remember anything about Boston at all. Um, mm -hmm. He just everything that he knows about it is kind of like legend from him hearing us all talk about it. I see. Uh huh. Yeah, now, the middle brother, wow. he was he was like five. So he has some memories, but because it was associated with the drugs, he it was it was negative. Um, right. Right. But yeah. So. Wow. But I loved having that conversation with my brothers because it did 
we always, every time we have a long conversation, we go into in-depth conversation about our own personal experience in the past. And I get a more in-depth, you know, experience of them. Cause there's certain things that they experienced that I didn't know that they experienced or things that they right. remember that I don't remember things that was important to them that yeah. was normal for me or I didn't, that I didn't pay attention to. Um, you know, just different things like that. So, so if you are listening, if you are listening, audience, um, how have you experienced, if you are young, if you are young, young, um, how have you experienced the opioid epidemic in your community? And if you are um, a older millennial, how did drugs ravage your community? Did it affect your community? Were you impacted by it? Like, let us know. Let us know your experience. Um, Cause I will, it would be cool to interesting. It would be interesting for me to know how it affected other people in other areas and yeah. Know, or how people were protected from it. So yeah, hashtag Marsha's claim. My topic for today is repair Asians <laughs> or reparations. So recently in California, there's been a nine member task force uh, that has come together and they have decided, uh, let me back on up. So the so in California, they have a task force to decide to talk about reparations. And um, what they have come to the conclusion at this point is that uh, Black Californians could receive up to, could receive more than $223,000 each in reparations for the enduring economic effects of racism and slavery. Um, It's the first state to uh, also have a category to document uh, descendants of formerly enslaved people. So for their state data, they actually document that. And uh, they define that as uh, a free person living in the US, uh, a a black person living in the US prior to the end of 19th century or 1800s. So the five areas that they highlighted around um, reparations are housing, mass incarceration, unjust property seizures. So we think about like what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma and uh, the devaluation of black businesses. Those are the five areas that they took into account to see how, like why reparations are needed. And so, and they estimate between, uh, let me back on up. Anyway, so now they're debating on how it should be distributed is $223,000 each to each black person that lives in California. Um, should it be distributed through education or healthcare grants, housing grants, um, or cash? And so that's something uh, that really caught my attention. So yeah, so California Task Force has decided, has come to the conclusion, this task force was established in 2020 that folks should get, Black Californians should get up to 200, I mean, at least $223,000 um, in reparations 
um, because of the inequities in housing, mass incarceration, unjust property seizure, and the devaluation of black businesses. And so looking at this, a couple questions came to mind and just in general, like what are your thoughts on reparations overall? And um, are we moving to California? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, like what do you what do you think about this plan? Like, do you think that is a good approach for uh, reparations that other states could do? Yeah, they put together a panel and then once they figure out what they want to do, I believe it goes to uh, the governor who's already been like, I'm going to support this situation anyway. Um, yeah, so what, what are your thoughts, Diamond? All right, so I was looking up um, Robin Rue Simmons. Let me make sure. Yes. I wanted to make sure I had her name right. That's what I was looking up while you was talking. So the first time that I know of, so recently I did a, um, I don't know what to call it. It was a, it was an event that was thrown by AI for the people, artificial intelligence for the people. And it's like a nonprofit organization. And they brought over, they, they did this kind of survey about the future of black people. And they brought together, um, innovative leaders to discuss some of the things that they were doing or whatever. And luckily I was one of the people that they brought to New York to talk about it. Um, and they brought people from all over the country doing different kind of work. Um, yeah. gender, in gender inclusive work, um, um, agriculture work, just different things that black people mm -hmm. are in, in regards to that. So we all come together and we did a photo shoot. I shared the photo shoot on my Instagram if y'all want to see it. But one of the people that they brought into the in as one of the leaders is Robin Ruth Simmons. And she is um, a politician out in Evanston, Illinois. And this is the first area. Yeah, yeah. All, this yeah, is the first yeah. area of the country that has actually passed reparations and so they have started and gave out money to yep. black people for reparations and she literally fought for it and got it and they voted for it to pass and so what what basically what they're doing is like the tax money that they get it literally have been given given black people certain things to either fix their home to keep their homes that they have in their in their um in the area of evanston so this only is going to affect residents of of evanston and so right, yeah right, and that right. and so they have really had some success they have really you know is it an easy task absolutely not but you but in order to do something you have to be able to be on the path to try to do it you can't just be like right. oh it's going to be too hard it's going to be too difficult for us to do and so up in evanston um a black woman of course um, <laughs> Robin Rue right. Simmons, and we sat down, she has a documentary out about her life. So you can about her, the, not her life, about this, the, the reparations situation. And so you can watch the documentary. It was at the, one of the film festivals in New York last year. And it was an amazing, I, it got me emotional. It, it, you know, she just was an inspiration. And so in regards to what I think about it, I think that this is California's way 
to be on the path to, to fixing a wrong of this country. Is everything going to be right? Is everything going to be um, perfect? No, but if but it's better to be trying to do it and figure right. it out as you go than to just not try to do it and let the racism and the imbalance just continue to get worse. It's like right. you have to be able to be on the path to try to figure out a way to um, to do it. And so as a as an African-American person who my lineage, I can I can go back on the census and prove both of my parents come from Mississippi plantations. <laughs> so it, as somebody who literally I have made more money than anybody since slavery. Right. Since we've been in my lineage, I have been the one who made more money. It's kind of me and my aunt Georgia <laughs> kind of going neck and neck. So sometimes she'll be, she'll, one year she'll be beat me and then I'll beat her and we kind of <laughs> going back and forth. And so um, being uh, being that person, we talk about it all the time. We like, you know, there's no way and we're not making a lot of money. It's not like we're like 250K, 300. No, we're talking about... 80,000, 70,000, 90,000. You get what I'm saying? These. Yeah. So this is not a lot of money, but any generation before us wasn't even making that. And so, right. Right. So, and we can, we can watch how our family was ravaged by sharecropping, um, having, having to, um, by the, not by, we know what sharecropping was about. Sharecropping was about, um exploited labor you know it wasn't just about it wasn't just about oh now you're doing your own farming no we're doing farming no. we're doing Share, some of the sharecropping was basically slavery by another name exactly <laughs> yeah. and, and land being taken away from um my family being taken away from my grandfather being taken away from um you know, just in so many different layers. I, I remember they locked my grandfather up in a mental institution until he signed away some of his land to them. I believe it. The police officers um, put, instead of locking him up in a regular jail, they intentionally locked him up in a mental institution just so they, wow. just for him to get out, for him to sign the land that they wanted over to him, to them. And it, they were in cahoots with one of the big biz, white business owners that was in cahoots with the police. And so right, it was all it was all a, a scam, it, a scam that we all knew happened. We all knew what was going on. And so, um, yeah, we we know how these things have worked and how slavery has affected um, my, my people. And we can a lot of us can prove it. So I just want people to be on the path of doing it. That's what I care about. Yeah. Being on the path yeah. of doing it and fix it, not saying, oh, this is too big for us to fix. Yeah, I mean, what's cool, I'm glad you brought up the work that's happening, that happened in Evanston, that's probably still happening. Like, it's cool to see, have an example that's on the local level, like the city level, and then clearly with California on a statewide level. I also want to quickly highlight some of the work that's happening uh, with the National African American Reparations Commission. Mm -hmm. And they've been around for a while uh, doing work on the federal level to try to support federal legislation on the national level that'll cover the whole country around reparations and i'm just going to quickly go through their 10 points the that they that they think is the way to go and get your get your thoughts uh the first thing is apology in a maafa institute so maafa 
basically refers to like uh, the the terror, the horror that Black people, African people went through because of the transatlantic uh, slave trade, uh, chattel slavery. And so uh, every year, a lot of places, people will have like my alpha services or my alpha ceremonies to acknowledge our ancestors who died in the ocean, and acknowledge our ancestors who died in this in this in, in this uh, this this uh, this tragedy of like humanity. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's that's uh, a part of the my alpha part. Uh, so apology in my alpha, and they say establish a, a an African Holocaust museum. So my alpha means Holocaust. Coming from Milwaukee, Milwaukee's the home of the National Black Holocaust Museum. And so growing up as a kid, we would go to the Holocaust Museum, and Dr. James Cameron, who founded it, is the only known survivor of a lynching. And if you ever seen that picture, it's a, one of the main pictures they show about lynching in like history books and stuff is where you got the two men hanging from the tree and there's that open noose. That was him. He was on the noose and something happened. Somebody said something and they took him down. He's the only, and this happened in Marion, Indiana. He's the only known survivor of a lynching. And so, um, but anyway, but growing up, you know, um, it was it was, it was was a part of growing up. But anyway, so they say apology in my Afa Institute. They say repatriation, the right of repatriation and creation of an African knowledge program. Number three is land, we'll have a link. Number three is land, the right to land for social and economic development, funds, money for cooperative, enterprises and socially responsible entrepreneurial development. Health and wellness is number five. Resources for health, healing of black families and community. Number six is education. Number seven is housing and wealth generation, affordable housing for healthy black communities and wealth generation. Number eight is info and communications infrastructure, strengthening black America's information and communications infrastructure, sacred sites and monuments, and number 10 is criminal justice system, you know, repairing the damages of the criminal injustice system. Um, and they also don't, uh, you know, they're not, oh, this should just be for people whose uh, families were uh, enslaved here. They're saying that we believe, they believe that they affirm the right of all people of African descent in the U.S. to receive reparations, irrespective of when they arrived here or their country of origin, because the historical fact is that centuries of enslavement, post-emancipation, racially, racially exclusionary policies, practices, the psychological trauma, et cetera, um, have severely underdeveloped in some instances outright destroyed families and communities in Black America. And so they know that, uh, you know, usually if a, if you're an immigrant family and you're African, of African descent, if you're here about three generations, that's when you start dealing with everything else, every other black person dealing with. So, you know, I know some people kind of be like, oh, it should just be for people African descent, you know, Adolf. you know, they're like, look, Adolf, right. Um, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on like. You know, just the ten point plan, but just also on the on the ADOS thing uh, perspective that they have. Um. So I'm really interested in land. I'm really interested in funds. I'm really interested in education, and I'm really interested in health. Um. The other ones I think are great ideas. I think the apology just to acknowledge. I think that's great. I think you know land. Um. The the um landmarks and stuff like that. I think that's amazing. But 
I really think it's important around education, health funds, and land. I just I can only think about my own particular situation. I feel like I would be in a much better situation if I already owned a home. If yeah. getting a yeah. home was <laughs> like not Absolutely. having to pay fucking rent every fucking week, yeah. every all that kind of stuff. And if Why I was in a position, yeah. yeah, I would I would much rather that's really, really important to me to have my own land and have a house. That's that would I feel like that would change my life. Um it would put me in a whole different situation in regards to financially. Um, even in even though I don't make a lot of money. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it will put me in a whole situation. Um healthcare. You know, we just was talking about last week about medications and da 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 da. Getting access to to being able to check all your health stuff whenever you can without having to worry about the. But I I don't. I know we talk about reparations, but I think everybody should be have get access to healthcare. I don't know. But oh yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, mean I, 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 I agree. Um, healthcare, healthcare is a human right. What, yeah, what are you saying? Like that's a, yeah. I think, <laughs> I mean, this is a man. What a concept! What a concept! But um, you know that I think that's important for everybody, not just on the level of um, reparations, but definitely reparations on the level of reparations. Definitely Um, education. Once again, I feel like I don't think education should be a business. I think I think that everybody should have access it, access to it. I think we all should be smart. I think we all should have access to information. But education, uh, back in the my US US student association days, we go lobby and stuff. Education is a right, not just for the rich and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um I think that's important. I think it's important to diversify the education that we are learning. Imagine mm-hmm. if teachers was getting paid what they're worth. And right, if, I mean, but I mean, also though, Diamond, teachers not getting paid because the way they supposed to get paid, and the 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 they divested from public education because of Brown v. Board, because black yeah. kids started going to public schools. You know, what I'm saying like that's you know that's how we got here. You know, that's how yeah. we got here over the last thirty years because they like no, nah, we not. I don't want my tax dollars to. It used to be public. Education, yeah. but when they said you gotta be equitable, they said gotta, no. My kids gotta read books with black children. Oh right. no, we black in private school. Look, side note, and I, I mentioned before on the show, like I went to a city-wide school in Milwaukee, so it was like folks in elementary through high school. So you know, I was in a more quote-unquote diverse school because you had white kids from the suburbs. And the way that the busing program desegregation was set up, if you were white and you lived in the suburbs, you could bus into the city. And if you were a person of color and you lived in the city, you could bus into the suburbs, but it couldn't go the other way. So if I was black, if I am black, but if I lived in the suburbs, I would not have been able to go to Milwaukee High School of the Arts because by law, I would have had to go to school in the suburbs for integration purposes, quote unquote. Right. Um, but what's kind of wild it's like in the 80s when I was going in the, growing up in this situation, my older siblings were being forced to quote unquote integrate 
these other schools on buses and dealing kind of that Boston level type shit where people were yelling at them, throwing shit at them, slurs in the eighties. <laughs> you know, what I'm when saying? you say Boston level, not in, you don't have to go into detail, but what are you talking about? So they know, so they can go look it up. Sure. Yeah. So Boston is, is known for being a very racist city and they had a, the south a lot of, the of fucking pro- North and a lot of <laughs> protests that were very violent around school busing and integrating the school systems out there. Um, and there's definitely a lot of information online about that. And I was just surprised to learn that in Milwaukee, it, was on a, it wasn't on a Boston level, but it was similar because Milwaukee is similarly a very hostile uh, city when it comes particularly to black people. It's been known as one of the most racist cities in the country for decades, uh, since at least the 1950s or 60s. And so, um, yeah, they weren't having that. And so I was, I was, it's just interesting, but to your point, like, yeah, education be great. And, and, and when they had this one little, this little, uh, moment to try to integrate these schools, quote unquote, not just with bodies, but they could have did it socially, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? But they had this little window to integrate. They closed it real quick. And that's when you see the explosion of after Brown, uh, parochial schools, you know, church schools, private schools, Catholic schools, because white folks decided, I ain't sending my kids to school with you. I'd rather pay money and send them to private school. I'd rather hurt myself. <laughs> I'd rather hurt it. myself than, I'd rather be a racist than, and hurt myself with the racism than, yeah. yeah, than to integrate. Crazy. Right. And I, I mean, I think for a lot of folks, it just seems normal that there's so many private schools today or Catholic schools and parochial schools. And all this, And it's like this was not the norm. This is um, the, the explosion of that was in response to them having to integrate these public schools. Yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask you on this on this topic um, about the safe. So they when they talk about the sacred sites and monuments, they were they they, they they're talking about. They want to have the National Park Service erect markers on every site where they know a black person was lynched or a massacre happened. They want funds for black burial grounds and cultural sites and funds to conduct uh, research to identify previously unknown uh, black sacred sites. And that's in terms of the preserving black sacred sites and monuments. And then that other one was around that uh, my Alpha Institute. I guess they want to. Uh, establish a permanent Ma'afa Institute to provide public educations on the origins of slavery, enslavement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to do more uh, education for the public. Now, what do you, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? You know, um, uh, you I'm know, not really down for Germany, marking, huh? you know, like Germany does it. Like Germany, I think that's their model, right? Like in Germany, after the Holocaust happened, the Jewish Holocaust happened. If you, they had a whole, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, oh my God, the word is slipping me. You know, reconciliation situation. They teach about Nazis. You cannot, it's illegal to even be like, I'm a Nazi in Germany. They have different memorials set up all across the country. So you can go places, uh, or if you even go to some of the places that used to be used as concentration camps, they have like the names of the people and some of the stuff. So that's their way of being like, no matter where the fuck you go here, you will know that this thing happened here. It was an atrocity. And, uh, you know, it was a part of who we are. But, you know, the way to keep, you know, you can't, you, 
Because the big thing with the, the Jewish Holocaust, too, was like, while it was happening, people were like, this is not real. Right. And so I think a part of them having these markers is to be like, you won't know, never forget me, never fucking forget. Yeah. You know, um, and so I think that's the perspective that they were coming with with uh, with some of that or like I think they borrowed that idea from there. Um, but I want to give it more context. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What, what's your, yeah. What's your thing? Um, I'm I'm opposed to finding lynching markers in. Uh, I don't like that. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm I'm all for erecting monuments in areas that you know that of, of significance, but um, that has the name of people who may have gotten lynched and or something that represents people who may not even have we don't even know their name. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all for having those kind of things because I think that's important. I feel it's annoying that our first president is the first one who can kind of acknowledge it, you know, in the sense of um, um, our first black president, not our first president, our first black president, we're kind of acknowledging, <laughs> acknowledging that the shit happened where y'all ain't even gave us an apology, motherfucker. Yeah, there there even, still has not been a formal apology. There still the has United not States. been a firm, yeah, so it's like, Y'all ain't even gave us no fucking apology. So that, I think that's a great start um, because it is, you know, motherfuckers are like now acting like slavery didn't exist or slavery wasn't as bad or slavery is a choice as the coon gay love yeah. to do. Um, slavery was a choice, like really acknowledging. Um, I think those things is just a, to acknowledge it and to make sure you don't forget and the, the and the education is there because if you just go if somebody didn't know anything about american history and they were just going about the monuments that we have they would be, especially in the south they would be celebrating these fucking confederates not yeah. realizing that they fucking lost yeah. <laughs> that yeah. they were anti-american right. they were not patriots and so right. um so acknowledging i think they acknowledge the reality and could spark real education and real conversation about the history of um you know the country and so i think it's important but yeah yeah i think yeah. those are starts i think those are good starts but it's really about the healthcare education and money and land for me okay no, i feel that i feel me. that yeah, I'm 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 kinda in between. I'm you no know, not in between. I think I'm I'm down with all of these things. I, I, I do I do dig I do dig the um memorial piece. I just think it's probably just because I think because I grew up with the Holocaust Museum as like a norm to like go see talk to this man and see all this shit. It just was like a integrated um it was a norm, I guess. You get what I'm saying? To see that kind of stuff. But I also feel what you're saying as well. Um, also want to highlight HR 40, which is John Conyers uh, introduced this in 1989, mm-hmm. and they still working on it every year. HR 40 House, uh, it's a House bill uh, around uh, reparations, and you know it's good to see that even since 1989, people still <laughs> putting in the work to make this happen and not giving up the fight to. Uh, trying to give us a little something because, you know, Abraham Lincoln died and the other president came in and he was a slaver and he had to be the vice president because they had to preserve the union of America, the settler colony, okay, this this criminal enterprise and um, say, fuck your 40 acres and a mule. <laughs> okay. 
Fuck your Freedmen's Bank. Go look that one up, folks. All these black people had this money in the bank. They put Frederick Douglass on top of it so we could have landed well. And then the white folks looted it and destroyed it. So, you know, to your point, Diamond, about your, uh, was it your grandfather mm-hmm. that they did this to? You know, just the links that uh, folks went to and continue to go to to fuck with us is wild. Uh, so you're saying no markers, just give me some coin. I'm okay with land. that. I'm okay with that, but <laughs> what what would uh, impact my life? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. What impact? What impact my life would be land, access to education, free education, access to mm-hmm. um, some fundings to start, you know, different businesses to invest in that. And so, I mean, think about think about all the taxes black people pay, including us today, that we have not gotten a return. Um, investment. No. To your point about education, like education should be free. We're paying for it yeah. with our tax dollars. We paying yeah. for shit we couldn't even access for over a hundred, you know, over a hundred years. Yep. There is nothing anyway. that really benefits me from my taxes. Um, there's, you know, there's certain things that don't uh, don't feel like they impact me. But even like, you know, literally the street that I live on that I've been living on for eleven years now. Uh-huh. Literally, it took COVID for them to fix the street. Like when COVID really shut everybody down and nobody was on the streets, literally that is when they brought people in because everybody was stuck in the house. They used that as a time to fix our street. They used that COVID money, I bet, to fix the I don't know what money they used, but I know they fixed the street. And I'm like, (laughs) I've been here for 11 years on this street. And y'all paying taxes today, right? Today. This is when y'all decide to fix it. I get it. Nobody is rolling on the street because COVID got everybody in the house. But and so it's a perfect time to not worry about um traffic and shit. But I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is what it took for y'all to fix the street. But yeah. um we just had a fucking Look, we just had we, we two years ago we had that fucking stupid freeze because y'all oh, ain't yeah. up, y'all ain't up y'all ain't upgraded the um the grids. Then last week we was fucking boiling our fucking water. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, oh, we damn. were fucking like like what the fuck? We were boiling our fucking water because it was a citywide fucking um water something where we had to boil it. Water warning. And we like what Texas, Texas, Texas in Florida in particular, because there's like no regulation, that shit is wild to me. You know wild, what I'm saying? Because you know, you you coming from you coming from Indianapolis, you still come from a place like you know, the Rust Belt cities still kind of believe in administrative government, right? And, and and like regulations and shit. But like Texas, I mean, that's why it's desirable for big business, because it's like the tech, you know, you can just get land taxes low, but to your point, like y'all, y'all not even connected to the damn nas- national electric grid because you letting twenty seven private companies. <laughs> like, girl, y'all could if y'all was connected to the national grid, it wasn't being so, being all weird about it. And we would have had a backup. We the only fucking. I would have had a backup. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> they, they said, "Fuck that." We we so indignant <laughs> and greedy. And my thing is, okay, cool. At least fix since you do since you ain't got a backup and you getting all this fucking money. It would make sense that you use our tax dollars to fix it and upgrade it and update it. 
so you continue to make the money that whatever greedy money that you're making but like, you're not even doing that and the other okie doke is every fucking citizen of texas is paying for that national grid that you're not even getting access to the your tax dollars come on now like what in the fuck like <laughs> Come on now, preach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what in the hell? And that's why people should vote. Now, we know this episode is coming out after the election in Georgia, the runoff. Why there's a runoff between <laughs> current Senator Raphael Warnock, the Reverend, the good Reverend, and Herschel Walker don't even make sense, but okay. But, you know, Herschel we're going to hope, pray, call the ancestors, do we got to do? Uh, hopefully, uh, all of you black folks got on out. And got to vote on Tuesday to to keep Raphael Warnock because that don't make no sense, and that's why they chose this fool because he don't make no sense. Okay, <laughs> your face, Diamond. Your face. Well, at least he's not represented. At least that's not a runoff in Texas. Okay. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I just don't understand. Like this man. Has paid immediately paid for abortion. Is not taking care of his ch- children, con- and is battling with a preacher. Y'all supposed to be the churchy people on the right. How y'all yes, not right. churchy people? The most segregated hour in America, <laughs> as Martin <laughs> said, is eleven o'clock on Sunday. So yeah, these white folks are. Look, and I, I, I mentioned it before. We talked about this before. These white nationalists are playing for keys because this is the end. It's, this is all or nothing to maintain white minority rule moving forward. Like they like we trying to set up this apartheid and we going to fight between getting our people on the courts that have lifetime appointments between trying to get Herschel Walker elected because he represents what we think about black men anyway. And we know that he'll do whatever the white man tell him to do, whether it's run on the football field or vote for some bullshit, you know, so they really are, you know, I mean, you know, we, you know, we know our listeners understand this, but just emphasize to your people, these people are not playing around. So when it comes to voting, when it comes to being involved in your politics on a local level, your school board, what have you, it's important to stay informed because they're not, they're not playing. (laughs) They want us to be distracted with bullshit, but they are not playing like when it comes to like we want to take this shit back to you know segregation and all this other kind of stuff and they being literally able, just put out a bill that. for us uh trans specific oklahoma just put out a bill that is making people 21 and under detransition i just <laughs> it's it's like you said it's they're on their last breath and yep and so we should expect all the worst things and protect our remember to protect our emotional energy because we ain't seen nothing yet we think they have wilded out as we get closer to 2024 they gonna come out with some wild shit and most of it assassinations most of it even the legislation though what i'm saying is most of the legislation not all of not a lot of the legislation that they're proposing a lot of it, this shit is just to rile up fringe fringe shit be like a third of the population or a quarter. That's who their base is. It's fringe people. And they're gonna come out no matter what. And so, you know, just expect more crazy or extreme legislation to come up. Um and a lot of it may not even have the teeth that it might sound like they have. 
because it's about getting that reaction. It's about riling up folks. Um, so just, you know, but keep that in mind. Like, as we talk about reparations in California, trust, they go, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they mad. You know what I'm saying? Fox News, mad. White folks, extreme right-wing white folks, mad. You know, so um, anyway, that is off topic, but yet related to reparations. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let us know what you think at Marsha's play. Like, how do you feel about reparations? What do you think about this plan in California? How do you feel about monuments? Do you feel like me where I'm like, yeah, put this shit out there so we can see the shit. And every time somebody walk past X, Y, motherfucking Z, they know the man was lynched here. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, the NAACP flag, a man was lynched today. Or you like diamond, like, I don't want to see that shit. Taking my education, my housing, my phone, some jobs. It's not that I don't want to see it, but if I had to rank what's the last thing you need to do, that's going to be the last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, also, you know, hashtag Marsh Play. Check out the uh, the links that we have. Let us know what you think about the 10-point the plan that uh, that they have and this plan they have out in California. Uh, maybe we need to come up with a plan. What do you think, yeah. uh, Diamond? I think that's so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm on the board of um, Transgender Law Center, and we actually have the trans agenda that was kind of a, a beautiful thing that 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 the organization did so um check it out search it search it the transgender law center has the trans agenda and it really has some great bullet points of what we as trans people um nationally have been are going to be working towards and have been working towards so check it out it's kind of dope yeah so yeah hit us up let us know um about reparations, hashtag March Play. Is there something happening in your local community around reparations? Shoot, we might not know about and need to take a look at. Um, yeah, hashtag March Play. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria. More than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Gimme, gimme, gimme euphoria. More than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the So, what has been bringing you euphoria lately, LJ? Oh, euphoria. Mm. I know I said sleep before. I'm not going to say sleep again, but sleep has perks. Perks. Oh, no. It's like my body get older. Like, girl, you need to lay down and get that full eight hours. Because when I get like six... I can't, I can't function the way I used to when I would get six hours of sleep. Like, it's just a wrap. Mm. My brain's like, girl, I need to reset and restore because it's health. But, um, yeah, what's been bringing me euphoria this week? Uh, really just, like, you know, my the, the being able to, and, I, and I've said this before, but being able to have an outlet of uh, artistic uh, expression. Mm. You know, play the drums, play music. Um, I play the drums at my church. Um, and it, just, it, it brings me so much joy. Because I played music all my life, and I had a gap uh, where I wasn't regularly, you know, playing music uh, for like over ten years. So it, it feels great to just be able to, you know, worship in that way for my spiritual situation, and also to be able to have that outlet. Like I mentioned, growing up in the arts, K through twelve, you know, I had the arts every day, two hours every day at school, played violin, played drunk, different stuff. So, um, you know, and that and that sets your foundation. 
when you're that when you're that young. So having the arts, always having a keyboard or a violin available, but to now actually have a formal outlet brings me so much before it to, mm. to be able to practice and play and kind of be in the zone, especially, you know, with gospel music or church music, you know, you can kind of get in the zone with, you know, so that, that brings me a lot of euphoria. I think that's, that's amazing because I, I, I record a song at least once a month. And mm. if, if you follow me on um, SoundCloud, um, if you follow us on SoundCloud, I have I have mixed my music page and Marsha's Play page together, so I don't put it on our RSS feed, so it doesn't go out to the Marsha's Play um, um, subscribers. But it does go in my in my SoundCloud feed, and I put music out all the time, and at least once a month because it's something that me recording music and writing songs and and creating something, that is a part of my self-care. Um, yes. That's why, honey, I got a song for everything we do because it's yes. something that I just do because I care about it. Um, it's something that is a part of my, I care about it and it's something that's a part of my self-care. So I totally get that. Definitely yeah. something that can take your mind off. It's almost like mentally soothing. It can take your mind off the stresses of the world. So I totally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about yourself? What's your, what's your euphoria this week? So my euphoria this week is kind of rooted in something sad, but um, I just feel like the response has been good. So one of the internet fun icons have passed away. Samantha James, Cookie Tookie, um, you know, Ishala Kandala, one, two, three, get off off them dicks. <laughs> <laughs> she, where where you know, was she? Where was she usually at? Because I, I didn't, she was I, from I, you know, Philly. Yeah, I'm an analog girl in the digital world. So where, so where she was she was at from, on the internet? So she's usually on either her Facebook or her Instagram. Um, mostly her Facebook. And so she just she just came to fame, you know, like around 2015, 2016. Oh wow, I realized she been around that long yeah she's been around a while but but once a couple a couple of years in there she had got locked up and then got out and it was you okay. know she you know she just she just a somebody funny now the issue with her is um you know she was battling addiction and so sometimes mm -hmm. while sometimes it would be like oh we're laughing with her but then sometimes it seems like oh we're laughing at her um because you mm -hmm. can see her struggling you can see her um mm -hmm. You know, Shaka Khan, Stephanie Mills versus Energy, where it's like, damn, Shaka. Uh, way worse than that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm sure way worse, but you know, but like that's the, the that kind of dynamic. Where yeah, like, where you're oh, like, mm, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. And so, but because it's a it's a inner because it's an internet personality type person, and. This is not like some show that you watch on TV. This is just somebody going live and being crazy in real life. life. Yeah. In real life. And so part of it, watch <laughs> IRL. Okay, almost sorry. almost like I call it like a beautiful train wreck. <laughs> like mm. it's like you're funny, so it's entertaining, but it's also like, oh God, is it does she have anybody in her life that's supporting her if she wants to right. be Especially clean? If you this visible. Right. Yeah. Right. And so part of part of you be like, mm, I wonder does she have anybody in her corner that supports her? Um yeah. But she caught COVID and she um um 
had congestive heart failure from what her sister has has announced and she died and what gave me euphoria and gave me so much joy is the response of the community to her passing it mm-hmm. has not been from my perspective and you know I, sometimes i be in silos but from my perspective it has been beautiful. People have been showing love. People have been, you know, they started a little GoFundMe for her um, services. Um, they, you know, she has really, you know, people just have been showing love and being more responsive than I, um, than I expected. I, I found out, I saw about her passing uh, some people just, yeah, I saw, I saw quite a few posts. Yeah, on my on my, my Facebook in particular, because I didn't know who she was. Like I said, I'm an analog girl. In this world. <laughs> like I don't know, I'm gonna like that. But she, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. How I about who she was. Yeah, and so wow. she, I just the love, the outpouring of love for her, I thought was beautiful, and that gave me joy this week. Even though it's rooted in some sadness about her passing away. Um, Where was she mostly on, like Instagram or Facebook? That's what oh, I'm she mostly was on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And so, yeah, it was not her dying didn't bring me joy, but the response and the love. We even, we, of course, we posted the outpouring and then people sharing their thoughts and the positiveness of it. I thought, I thought I saw, I, saw, I was on my live. I do a, a live um, once a week on my YouTube and I go live for like two hours and talk with people about whatever's happening in the, in the, in the world or whatever. And so last night I went live and, you know, somebody was saying that, you know, it's, it's that they were feeling like it was fake that, um, her dying was fake. No, 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 not that her dying was fake, but, um, that people are showing love. And when they were laughing at her oh. she was, while she was alive and I was like, what? Like, I thought that was stupid for them to say, because I feel like you can simultaneously care and not want somebody to die while at the same time being entertained out enter, entertaining entertained by what they put out you see what right. i'm saying by what they put out on the internet and not be fully invested in what's going on because you don't live by them you're not by them you don't know them right. for real right there is on the internet and so but that don't mean i want you to die that don't mean if you if you if i don't care you it's like me like if I was in Cookie Tookie's life, I would have been more invested in her uh, getting being recovery. But because right. I don't know you, um, yeah, the proximity the proximity is isn't there. I can't reach out. And then when I reach out, you worried about bookings and because <laughs> I have reached out to Cookie Tookie, not just to get her on the show, but to um, hey, what's going on, girl? Blah, 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 yeah. blah, you know, because I hear something like you need a little change and, you know, I'll send her a little something. I've sent her some little money when when she was going through certain little struggles like a couple of years ago. And. But because of her popularity and her struggle. Every time it was about money, it wasn't about um, recovery, it was about. It, it it just it was kind of weird and so it didn't care not to the point where um you know I, i'm not gonna worry about it i'm not gonna be like oh my god this is sad that she passed away 
it's 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 just a balance because of proximity. So, but what I what without being sad about it, what what I what I got euphoria from is just everybody showing her love. I didn't see any negative posts about Cookie Tookie. It was just nothing but positive and love and how she entertained and how yeah. she um you know she all made us laugh with her shenanigans and that is what brought mm-hmm. me euphoria this week. All right. Yeah. But yes, let us know what has been bringing y'all euphoria, and we will see y'all next week. Bye, y'all. All right. Peace, y'all. Now, y'all know, since we brought this song up, y'all know I had to get a piece of this. <laughs> I specialize in love. I make you feel brand new. I specialize in love. Let me work on you. I specialize in love. I make you feel brand new. I specialize in love. Let me work on you. Ooh, if your broken heart needs mending, you can come to me. If you need a happy ending, you can come to me. If your love affairs has gone away, but you can come to me and see how much I care. I specialize in love, I'll make you feel brand new I specialize in love, let me work on you I specialize in love, I'll make you feel brand new I specialize in love, let me work on you Ooh, if you think you're being mistreated You can come to me, baby If you think you're being cheated You can come to me, baby if you've been hurt by love before Now step inside, baby, and close the door I specialize in love, I'll make you feel brand new I specialize in love, let me work on you I specialize in love, I'll make you feel brand new I specialize in love, let me work on you Let me work on you, baby let me show you that I specialize in loving you. And all you gotta do is give me a try, just one chance, and let me show you. I Let me work on you. I specialize in love. Make you feel brand new. I specialize in love. Let me work on you. I specialize in love. I specialize in love. I specialize in love. I specialize in love. Let me work on you. I don't think I can do this last part without Sharon, so come on in, Sharon, help me out.